Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Welcome to another edition of the Club Dub Football Podcast. I'm Rob Rose, and this week, for the first time, we're going to truly look ahead to the 2021 NFL season. Looking at the impact that the free agency pickup of Tom Brady made going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, turning them from perennial underachievers to Super Bowl champions, this week we're going to focus on who are the key free agents out there and available, and which teams could they land on that could turn them from one-trick ponies into the podium powerhouses next year on Super Bowl Sunday. As always, you can get in touch and give us your ideas. Follow us on Twitter at Club Dub Podcast, or you can always send us an email by emailing theclubdubpodcast at mail.com. Right now, let's hand over to JB, PB and Aldrin and get their thoughts on this week's topic. <laughs> I love you, bro. Let's go. Let's go. Shoes on time. 44! 44! You stink! So thanks, gentlemen, for joining me. Hi, Rob. Hello. Um, and let's start to lay some of the groundwork for what is uh, suddenly looking an action-packed show. So we're going to be talking through the free agents or trades that could turn also rounds into Super Bowl contenders in a year from now. We're also going to bring all of our listeners up to date on some really exciting pieces of breaking news involving some quarterbacks around the NFL. But before we do... The potentially even bigger news is that PB has a trivia question for the group. Here we go. So, Phil. Phil's Quiz of the Week. I'll cut that out. Well, we've got Phil's Quiz of the Week. Definitely don't cut that out. Welcome to Phil's Quiz of the Week. So, he is the 29th best quarterback in Kansas City Chiefs history with completions to Chiefs players, but he has never played for the Kansas City Chiefs. Go. Is it Old Man Rivers? It is Old Man Rivers. 39 interceptions to Kansas City Chiefs players. So he is actually the 29th most successful, uh, or he's 29th on the list of most pass completions for the Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks for listening. That was Phil's quiz of the week. Can't wow. wait to see Philip Rivers in the Chiefs ring of what do they call it? Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor. Well, it, it just it brings to mind that um, stat about up until was it this past season, the most successful quarterback in the Cleveland Brown Stadium since they came back was Ben Roethlisberger because he was the one who's had the most victories. So. Stats are weird. Tom Brady has won something like... Do you remember when Phil was interesting and multidimensional and... Oh, when my team was losing all the time, you mean? (laughs) No. Do you know what? that. That was fine. Up until the bye this season, that was fine. But thank you, Phil, for bringing us to that great quiz question that for those listeners who missed it was who is the 29th best quarterback in Chiefs history who never played for the Chiefs? Well, there you go. Okay. I, um, I feel the limited build-up it was given was maybe too strong. 
Look for um, more fun, fun facts next week. I, I can't wait. The, the thought of this becoming a regular feature is just music to my ears. So um, up until about two hours before we were due to record, I was thinking that we had very little to talk about on the news front with all things NFL. And then three pieces of news have dropped within the space of about two, two and a half hours. So as two of these three relate to teams that our podcasters support, I'm going to throw over to you, Aldrin, first because we have the exciting news that the Philadelphia Eagles are trading Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, this news completely ruined my segment for what free agent quarterbacks might be an interesting fit for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, but yeah, what a, it's one of those moves that is exciting, but also kind of has felt inevitable from like the end of last season up to where we are at now. Uh, it's always seemed like that relationship between the Eagles and Carson Wentz went deeper than just the coach. And I think that has proved true. Um, obviously, we thought, you know, when Pedersen left, that that might be an indication that maybe Wentz is going to stick around. But I think it's probably gone way beyond that. I don't think that Wentz was ever that comfortable that Roseman brought in hurts and all of that kind of stuff and then obviously as the the season panned out and the way that he played kind of has inevitably led to this reunion with Frank Reich and trying to bring back the old Carson Wentz of you know that successful season when he was under Reich's tutelage and they got to the the Super Bowl rather um but yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting move. It's a it's a fairly low risk one for the Colts, so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with what we've had to give up. Obviously, only a third rounder this year means that we can load up the talent still, um, and it solves obviously the biggest positional need that we had with only Jacob Eason left on the roster with um, Brissett uh, moving into free agency himself and obviously Rivers retiring. So it feels a big need for us there. It's The money isn't crazy either. I know he's on a, a fairly big deal, but you know, for a starting quarterback of any kind of new currency deal, it's always going to be in and around the mark that he's on the hook for this year. So I'm not massively disappointed with that. I kind of felt we were going to have to give up a, a chunk of cash, but the, the positive news, and it kind of ties in with the the salary cap is that we're in a really healthy position salary cap wise. I think we were predicted to have um, somewhere in the region of 69 million available. So, you know, a quarterback and then that allows us to bring in or bring back some of the free agents from ourselves. So we've still got, you know, T.Y. Hilton, there's Xavier Rhodes, Walker. There's a whole bunch of free agents that we still need to prioritize and bring back. But, I think the money that we've got left allows us to do that. Not giving up a first this year means we can add extra talent and make a real big push for the the playoffs and Super Bowl and hope that we bring back that top tier Wentz that we kind of saw. So a chunk of cash as well, aren't they? I think they've got the biggest cap hit in history, thirty three million. They have yeah, to take this year. They're keeping. I think they're paying some of Wentz's salary as well, aren't they? Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think that's the case. I don't know. I've not seen that. I mean, the news is so fresh that who knows how it shakes down. But, yeah, certainly in terms of the money that we've had to 
you know, we're going to have to give him. I'm not concerned about that. I mean, I think it's a deal that seems to strike a really interesting balance because going back to your first point, the point around Wentz really having an issue with them drafting Jalen Hurts. And I I think that's probably a critical point, really, a bit like we saw with Rodgers and Love, although it would be fair to say that Wentz didn't quite react in the way that Rodgers did um, to that kind of news. But when they bring in Hurts with, what was it, a second round pick, certainly a high high pick, you've got to imagine they're bringing in a player that high to give him the opportunity to play. And actually, the weird thing when you start to look back statistically is even though the Eagles have had two very disappointing years back-to-back, actually Carson Wentz hasn't. You know, the the first of those two years, he was actually the one shining light. He, you know, has struggled under, you know, pretty odd circumstances, a dreadful line and, and you know, a number of receivers who who really weren't helping him. So I I just think the reason this deal is so balanced is that you're absolutely right. The Colts haven't, you know, given up everything to bring Wentz into town. But equally, if we're going to follow this Carson Wentz narrative, I think they've given enough for Wentz to kind of feel the love. You know, what they've given up is undoubtedly starting quarterback, you know, draft collateral. Um, And the final point you made, um, Aldrin, that I've got to agree with is I think the Colts are a quarterback away from being a real contender. You know, that that was the missing piece, wasn't it, after Rivers retired? I mean, this is a team that, with all of their problems, and I'm maybe being a bit harsh to say Rivers was was probably a slightly limiting factor last year. Um, they've still made the playoffs, what, two out of the last three seasons in, in what was ultimately rebuilding. You know, we're going right back to the start of Reich's reign there. Um, and I think Wentz could be looked back on as a bit of a masterstroke. I think it's I think it's a deal that works out very well, really for both parties. I mean, the Eagles, you know, we're always going to have to take a hit, but um, but for the Colts particularly, I think it strikes a really nice balance. I think as well, the good thing with coming to the Colts is that we're not going to ask him to do everything. You know, we've got a brilliant line and we've still got a solved left tackle, but we've got money to do that now. But, you know, we've, we showed that we've got a really solid run game that worked really effectively last year. And obviously that boosted Philip Rivers' performances because he wasn't having to throw every time. So I think, you know, the situation around Wentz is so much better than in Philly because he's got a solid run game. He's got a really good line that will protect him. And, you know, we've got good wide receivers. Pittman looked great after the catch last year. And I think if we, you know, bring back Pascal and potentially even bring back T.Y. again, you know, we've got options there. So it's not all on him, unlike it was in Philly. I think that kind of felt like a lot of where he was making mistakes last year is he was effectively just trying to carry the team on his shoulders and do everything to his own detriment. But yeah, he won't have to do that in Indy. I don't think there's an entire amount that I can add to what you guys have already said. I think everybody's sort of summed it up quite well. I suppose the only the only thing I have in, in my head is a lot of what was discussed with the new Eagles coach and I think like Rob has said was bringing somebody in to fix Wentz and sort all those kinds of, of issues out. If there was one coach in the league who you would think would understand Carson Wentz and know what he needs to succeed, it would be Frank Reich because he was the coordinator he was there with Wentz when Wentz had that near MVP level season before he got injured that ultimately led to the Eagles winning the Super Bowl Nick Foles obviously gets a lot of credit for for that playoff run especially the NFC Championship game and then obviously the Super Bowl you know it's not every day that a player does outplay Tampa Bay's favorite son Tom Brady but 
ultimately, I think it was Wentz's play that got the Eagles into that kind of position. And you've got to think Reich knows what he needs or what he wants to do to get, get him back into that uh, rhythm again. I think that's a fair point. I, Reich obviously knows what he's getting because he worked with Wentz for so long. Um, and he's obviously happy about it, or they wouldn't have pulled the trigger on the trade. I mean, you guys know my opinion on Wentz. I said very early in the last season how overrated I thought he was, um, whether he can get back to that performance that he had with Philly and whether that was you know, a, a real reason why they did so well remains to be seen. But like you've said, Aldrin, um, you've not really given up much to get him. So if it doesn't work out, it's it's not the end of the world if it does work out then then brilliant and you know Wentz is, is proving people wrong and he's getting back to good form and and the Colts have you know not really missed a beat in terms of their their play at quarterback I think the other side of it is going to be interesting as well and I know we're focusing specifically on Wentz and the Colts but the Eagles now have a real question mark probably over their draft pick because they're picking at number six and it hurts their guy you know from the, the limited action they saw and hurts look really good you know, if you compare his numbers to, I think, Russell Wilson's first season in the league and Lamar Jackson's first season in the league in terms of rushing numbers, touchdowns, um, touchdowns through the air as well, then, um, you know, he he kind of looks like he's on par, but it was only, a, you know, a, a few games, a, a bit of a, a kind of, I can't think of the word that I want to use, I guess a trial run, I suppose, of, of a few games. You know, do you really bet the house on that? Or are they going to look to draft a quarterback at number six with some some kind of highly touted quarterbacks in the draft? So that's going to be an interesting one to watch as well. I, th- I think that is an interesting one. The only thing I'd say is you, you've got to imagine the Eagles already know. You know, you, you've got to imagine they've got a plan, haven't they? So so they either think they've seen enough to think they're going to stick with him or they're thinking, look, you know, we're at six, you know, a position that, like you said, the Colts aren't. You know, it's not like the Colts are, are going to necessarily have quarterback talent um, you know, to pick from um, with their draft picks. So, yeah, I think it, it is a curious one. And, um, you know, Hurts, you know, even if he doesn't work out, we're still talking about a brand new coaching setup. And, and really, you've got to feel that Philadelphia are at the start of a rebuild regardless, haven't you? So, um, yeah, it's, it certainly makes for, for an interesting draft narrative. And I'm looking forward to seeing which way that goes. This now means after this, the golf trade and this trade, there's not a single quarterback drafted in the first round from 2009 to 2016 that is still with their original team. So there's 22 of those quarterbacks still in the league. Not one of them is with their original team. I think that's, you know, it, it really shows how short the leash is and, and how quickly something can turn around from being, you know, quite highly rated to, to just being, you know, you're not the guy onto the next. Yeah, I mean, it, it says a lot about the quarterback position, doesn't it, that, that ultimately if you want to be successful, you've got to have a GM and a head coach particularly that believe they've got the right guy in the centre. And I think you're right because we're still talking about, you know, the, the the most interesting part of that stat, if I'm going to be honest, is how many are still in the league. You know, these aren't players that have disappeared. These aren't players that are no longer relevant. These are players that are just moving on as as people just look to land on that, that kind of magic formula. Um, but, yeah, I just think... You know, we've seen plenty enough from Carson Wentz to think that he could have a real resurgence. And um, like you say, that little sample size from Jalen Hurts, who who quite knows where that takes them. Um, the other news I was going to come on to, so our second uh, bit of news from today on the day of us recording, is that the NFL have not yet announced the salary cap 
for the coming season. But they have confirmed to all 32 teams that it will not be beneath $180 million, which I think was the concern that there would be a figure somewhere in, you know, the 175 to 179 million range that had made a lot of teams very nervous about, you know, being able to renew contracts and look into free agency signings. I think 180 million um, is a drop, obviously, but I think just that level of certainty hopefully means that this kind of free agency pause we've been seeing could hopefully be turned on its head over the next few days and we start to see some of those big names land. Um, one of the big names, if I use this as, as my way to quickly port and jump through to the third story, is Ben Roethlisberger, who has shot to the news headlines today after an interview done with the general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers, where he refused to commit to Ben being their guy for next season. Now, part of that is the backdrop that he would count uh, $41 million against the cap next year because of bonuses he's entitled to. Even if they were to release him, he would count by about 20 to $21 million next season. But considering Ben has come out so much in the last couple of weeks and said he's happy to restructure, he's happy to even think about lessening um, his salary to stay with the team, it seems very bizarre that the Roonies potentially, maybe it's general management ownership, maybe it's it's the whole decision-making group, seem unsure about a Super Bowl-winning quarterback with that franchise who only a few months ago had them sitting pretty at 11-0. So I'll keep quiet now because, JB, I feel this is one for you. Where do you think this might take the Pittsburgh Steelers? The, the problem I have with answering that question is there are the Steelers have far too many other questions going on that they need to deal with. And Roethlisberger, to me at least, is not the top of that list. Um, last, last season produced a lot of questions, and I think a lot of people in the media, a lot of fans neutral and Steelers fans were sort of asking the questions, is Ben washed? Has he not recovered from his elbow injury? Obviously we're now in a, we're now in a position where Roethlisberger is the last of the three from his draft class still standing. Obviously it was him rivers and Eli Manning, both Manning and rivers are now gone. Roethlisberger is the last man standing. And, it's still a difficult question to answer because I don't think the Steelers offense last season was particularly good. I don't think it was set up well. I don't think there was a lot of game planning going on. And the times they seemed the most successful um, were the times when from all media reports afterwards, it was when Roethlisberger was kind of disregarding the game plan and just calling it in the huddle and at the line and just deciding what they were going to go and do. And if that's true, and he does still have his va-va-voom going on, then there's still something there that you can build behind. I think the biggest issue is, regardless of who you have at quarterback, you know, if this is Big Ben carrying on going for that third Super Bowl for his Steelers, or if it's time to usher in the Mason Rudolph era, spoiler alert from me, it's not, um, it depends on who's there. The Steelers currently, excluding the three kinds of free agents that you can have, have three offensive linemen under contract. That is not enough. The run game was terrible. They need to sort out what they're doing with Juju Smith-Schuster. They need to work out if Deontay Johnson is going to actually consistently catch the ball or not. And 
just as Rob was doing his intro, I um, just nipped into Twitter just to see if there was any sort of big talking points that I could borrow from. And luckily enough, there was. Um, Dave Damashek um, had put a thing on about regardless of whether it is Roethlisberger or Rudolph, you're not going to end up with a high draft pick anyway because the, the Steelers' defence right now is too good to go. The Steelers' defence didn't look all that in the first round of the playoffs against the Browns. No, I mean, it's, it's one game. But ultimately, over the season, the Steelers' defence was excellent. And bear in mind, last week, we were talking about, in fact, it was you that brought up the fact that TJ Watt was robbed for Defensive Player of the Year. The Steelers' defence has a lot of good playmakers on it. Are you wasting them by experimenting with a, a backup quarterback as your starter for three or four seasons or two or three seasons waiting for the next good quarterback to be available in the draft because Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be available next year. Well, there's, there's a few points I'm keen to, and you know, unfair as a, uh you know, resident Steelers fan to fire all this at you, but there's a few things. So firstly, what you're saying kind of ties to what it feels like the Steelers are saying, you know, that there are priorities other than Ben Roethlisberger that need to be taken care of first. The problem is how on earth can you take care of those priorities when you don't know how much Roethlisberger is counting against your cap? You know, we're talking a $20 million difference based on, you know, where, where we sit at the moment. And the other thing, and I, I really hope the Steelers don't rue this, is that, you know, you talk about it might be a couple of years of waiting before you get a good quarterback. There are franchises who've waited a quarter of a century to get a good quarterback. I mean, I mean, go and talk to a Buffalo Bills fan, you know, or, you know, a, a New York Jets fan or, or, you know, up until, you know, recently you could have probably added, you know, the, the Bucks probably over the last decade or so as well. I mean, to say, oh, it might take the Steelers a couple of years, I think is, is maybe wishful thinking and maybe they don't realise quite how lucky they are. Um, the point you make about there being a lot of holes, I mean, the report seemed to suggest that Juju Smith-Schuster isn't part of the equation. It, it looks like he will move on. But, I mean, even though Ben is the last of his draft class still standing and all of these things, I think it it doesn't seem a very Steelers move. You know, it seems a really unclassy way to kind of handle what is potentially the exit of one of your greatest ever quarterbacks. And, um I don't know. I've been a bit surprised by it, really. You know, there was a comment. I think the comment made was that we still think he has the potential to do good things. And, and that doesn't sound like a franchise that's backing their future Hall of Fame quarterback the way that, well, Tom Brady is in Tampa Bay and, and Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay. I think you've made a very good point there. I think from my point of view, a lot of how this is going with regards to Big Ben's future rings very true to what happened towards the end of Troy Polamalu's time with the Steelers. And again, he will go down as one of the, the greatest safeties of all time, absolutely one of the greatest Steelers of all time. And again, it was essentially the conversation as it went was, look, we really don't want to cut you, but we will. We would rather you retired. And ultimately, Polamalu retired and everything worked out okay. But there are reasons why Polamalu does a lot of charity work and things and doesn't do an awful lot with the Steelers anymore. I get what you mean in terms of it not being a particularly Steelers move to make, but at the same time, I think it kind of is. The Steelers, above all else, are an organisation that, through Chuck Knoll, through Bill Cower, through Mike Tomlin now, are used to success. And 
should the Steelers with their players have more Super Bowl appearances at the very least than they do? Yes, absolutely. They're still more than some other people. And there has to be an element of trusting the process in that. I think the, the biggest thing for me is just calling back to Rob's point about, you know, how long you can wait for a, another quarterback. I know it's only been a few years, but the Colts have struggled to replace Andrew Luck. You know, we've gone through a few years of odds and sods and trying to pick up players and hoping that it works out. And we're still at that point now. You know, we're taking a punt on a player that's had a real down season and hoping that he turns out to be a good player. The the thing for the Steelers is I'm, the only thing that I would call out, and like Rob said, you know, thinking that you can maybe get better else there and neglecting what you've got. You know, we've seen the last couple of years that the Steelers thought they could get better at the running back position than paying Le'Veon Bell and thought they could get better at the wide receiver position than Antonio Brown. And they've not replaced those players. And those are, you know, top tier talents that played really well for the Steelers. And then they thought, okay, well, you know, we're comfortable moving on. We, we think we've got it in the bag. We can, you know, ride James Connor at running back. And, you know, we've got Juju Smith Schuster. And now you're at a point where, you know, both of those players that, the Steelers threw their trust behind uh, probably out the door and looking for a new team in free agency. So I, I do think it's, it's one of those situations that the grass isn't always greener and you've got to be conscious that, you know, last year, I don't think Ben was the problem. And, you know, I know he counts for a lot of money and then, you know, restructure or what have you, but if you're not in a position that you've got a good draft pick this year and you've not got the money, then where's that next quarterback coming from? Well, that for me is the ultimate conundrum with the Steelers because you go, so your examples there about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, well, you, you could also look at that the other way. I know Brown's just, you know, won a Super Bowl. Actually, Le'Veon Bell played in that same Super Bowl. But we're also talking there about two players who, you know, I don't think it's a, a, a particularly controversial statement, say also played the best football of their career as Steelers. So on the one hand, you go, well, the Steelers process brings the best out of that top tier talent. It, it creates an environment where they flourish. But you are right. I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster is not a number one wide receiver based on anything I've seen. Um, I, I think if he ends up going to the, the I, I think Jets and Jags are, are the two yes, places yeah. being muted. And, and I don't think he does a lot for either of those teams if you add him to their ranks. And James Connor, I mean, James Connor's just an anomaly to me because there were sparks, there were moments. But I mean, last season was a disaster. I mean, the passing game was basically a lot of dink and dunk to, to basically make up for the shortcomings in the running game. Uh, I just think, I don't know, I can't help but come back to this theme that as Pittsburgh Steelers, I think sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for um, because I'm not quite sure it's going to give them what they expect. You're, you're right that there was no real running game for them last year. I think they were really poor in the running game. It's probably the weakest part of their, their you know, overall game day uh, strategy. But, you know, is that part of the reason why they're talking talking up moving on from Roethlisberger you know if they can get him to retire and clear some cap then does that give him a better opportunity to take a punt at a running back Aaron Jones or you know even a Leonard Fournette or someone like that you know someone who's who is proven and established that that they can carry a team like that you know and then do they go for a cheaper option yeah I because I, Roethlisberger for me you know he's he's got no legs really does he It doesn't kind of extend plays that way so do they just need a game manager quarterback so if they're going to punt their money on the run game 
you know, is there someone like an Alex Smith or someone like that who's an experienced veteran that's, you know, whilst they're not going to get a high draft pick and go for someone like that, we'll, we'll kind of be able to get them through games if they've got a strong running game as well. You know? if, if you're wanting players to extend players, I don't think Alex Smith's that guy. Yeah, no, but that's, if, that's if what I'm saying. I, ability, I, yeah, yeah I don't think... Your guy, right? Yeah, I don't think he... Uh, he's not, that's exactly what I was saying. He's not a guy that's going to extend plays with his legs as well. But if they've got a better running game, he's a similar kind of game manager quarterback, you think, that, that they probably need for that kind of strategy and will be a lot cheaper than Roethlisberger. Well, you say a lot cheaper than Roethlisberger. And JB, I'm going to come back to you because this is your, you know, this is close to your heart. But ultimately, the difference between Roethlisberger and another quarterback. So if Roethlisberger stays on current terms, he costs about $41 million for the coming season, right? Now, if he leaves, even if he retires, you're looking at about 21 to $22 million. Now, the problem I've got is... $20 million for a starting quarterback isn't particularly weird, wild, or wonderful anyway. So even if Roethlisberger retires, unless you're going to go with Mason Rudolph, which, like you say, JB, surely not. I mean, what have we seen from him to suggest that's a good option? I think you could very well end up spending the $40 million anyway by the time Roethlisberger retires on bringing in a pretty much middle-of-the-road starting quarterback. It just seems odd that they seem to have called so much on a quarterback that with all of these problems we're currently talking about still took them to, what, 11-0 and 0 by the end of November. It seems a really strange turnaround. You say that, but it's it's a strong quarterback market at the moment, it looks like, anyway. You know, the quarterback carousel has started turning and there's still parts to play there, you know, Watson moving and other things like that. And if you look back to this time last year, you know, there was Jameis Winston, who's gone to the Saints for league minimum, um, Cam Newton started at the Patriots for, for there or thereabouts league minimum. So it, it all depends on the situation. You know, if you're a guy, it, it's you know hard to, to think of somebody. If you think of Winston's situation last year, if you're a guy like Winston that wants to start in the league, you've proven you can do it in part, but there are weaknesses. You know, as, as the off season ticks on and you get closer and closer to the season and there's less cap room, do you take a, a prove it deal at somewhere like the Steelers if they've got that limited space? So then that, that 21 million figure, you know, starts to be a little bit different because you've, you've got some money then to spend on O-line and to spend on a running back. And, you know, you, you're saving a little bit on the quarterback just by waiting it out a little bit. The, the final summary, I suppose, the final point, and this is the thing that I've had in my head really since the, uh, the Steelers season ended in that aforementioned loss to the Browns. So much in terms of performance in the NFL really comes down to just having the right pieces at the right time. And nothing exemplified that more than this season than Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do we think if Tom Brady wasn't a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, the Bucs would still be at the Super Bowl? No, probably not. Um, look, we, you, we could be in a situation where, yeah, a, a street quarterback joins the Steelers and, everything comes together and it all starts to work out. We can think about Doug Williams, like Super Bowl MVP for the Washington Redskins, as they were then, who started as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer and didn't really do a lot there. Steve Young, Super Bowl winning quarterback twice, at least, I think, for the San Francisco 49ers, also played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and didn't do an incredible lot there. There are... Brett Favre started as a draft pick for the Falcons and it wasn't until he got to the Packers that he did anything. Get your money so, on Jameis Winston winning the Super Bowl. 
you can find the right player for you and you can make that scheme out of it. And part of me is wondering, is this not just the road down to the end of Big Ben as a Steeler, but is this potentially in two or three seasons going to be an introductory press conference for the new head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I think with the exception of the Patriots, I think the Steelers have probably been as consistent as many, you know, perennial divisional winners and, and players. The, the, the big thing, thing for me and the thing that keeps standing out, I mean, let's go to Phil's point. Phil's saying, should the Steelers take a quarterback on a prove-it deal? And he mentioned Cam Newton. Well, he didn't prove it. I mean, I mean, no one's rushing to get Cam Newton after that year in, in New England, are they? I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, I think if, if the right player becomes available, is the kind of quarterback that the Panthers would move on from. I think the Washington football team uh, are thinking of moving on from Alex Smith. I just, for as much as there's talent out there, I don't think there's a home run amongst them, is there? I mean, even Carson Wentz, like you said, he just commanded a pretty good chunk of draft capital, you know, has question marks. And and I just think, I don't know, I, I, it doesn't feel right to me, this, but, um, you know, you're closer to it and and good luck to them. You know, let's hope whichever way they go, you've you've got a competitive football team to watch um, next season. But um, out of nowhere, you know, two or three hours before we record, None of this really on the radar, and um, all of a sudden it, it feels like the off-season has finally got going. So with the news all covered, we were each sent away with homework ready for this week's podcast, namely to find the next Tom Brady, and um, maybe not quite um, a multiple Super Bowl winning quarterback, but namely, is there a free agent signing out there who, if they were to be picked up by the right team, could absolutely change that franchise's fortunes so we've each been scribbling our notes and getting our ideas together and Aldrin I'm going to come to you first with what players you think are out there that could make the difference and what teams you think they should be landing on yeah well like I said I I almost flushed all my notes down the toilet after the uh, Carson Wentz trade news because the player that I I looked at as the free agent that could turn a franchise and originally I was thinking for the Colts because like you say we're probably only a quarterback away but there's multiple teams that um that this player I feel probably fits at and turns them around into a into a Super Bowl contender and that was Dak Prescott. I think for me obviously probably the best free agent quarterback you're going to get like like we say players like that kind of caliber don't come around often. And whether or not he actually does hit the free agent market is still yet to be determined. But for me, I can't see, I cannot see the Dallas Cowboys tagging him again, purely because that would end up being 37.6 million they would be on the hook for this year. And that is, if the if the cap is projected at the 180 mark, that's 21% of your overall cap going on one individual player. So I just can't see it. I think if anything, they agree a long-term deal which they should have done two years ago in my mind, but that's another story. But yeah, so with Dak Prescott, I think he walks into a lot of teams and makes them a hell of a lot more competitive than they are. But the the teams for me that kind of made the most sense and fit really nicely are the Denver Broncos, the Chicago Bears, and the Vegas Raiders. Now, I think those are, you know, three teams that, to my mind, uh, are not all that far away. Certainly the Broncos feel probably the furthest. Um, but again, that that kind of comes down for me to the quarterback play that they've had over the last few years. I think 
it, I mean, it's easy to say, how do you move on from Peyton Manning? And they've yet to answer that question to my mind. The, the swings and misses that they've taken at the quarterback position have been numerous and large. But I, I think if you bring Dak Prescott into there, he turns them into a really competitive franchise. You know, I, I was looking at his stats and obviously he's a five-year starter. Last year was um, an unfortunate mega injury, but up until that point, played every single game. He was looking at a 66% completion average, 7.7 yards per attempt. But if we look back at the last two years, it was 8.4 and 8.2. So, you know, those are good numbers, really solid numbers for a starter. And I, I think all being well, he comes out for the off season, ready to, to train and play. And I just think if you're the, the Chicago bears, what you wouldn't give to have a proper quarterback surely you know the Trubisky and Foles experiments haven't worked to my mind um and he comes in and makes that team really competitive the only challenge they've got and same with the Raiders is the Bears are projected two million over the cap Raiders 13 million over the cap but the Broncos there have got money they're they're projected at 36 million so I certainly don't think there's any real challenge there. The biggest thing with Dak is obviously that he's going to want to get paid. And that's the, that's the thing, you know, that was the the stumbling block. I think part of the stumbling block though, was the length of the contract. You know, he wants to see those kind of long-term commitments from the Cowboys. And you can, you could see why he wanted that a year or two ago, because obviously, you know, the, the game's volatile. You can pick up an injury and lose the season and, you know, if he wasn't on that, if he wasn't on the on the tag, you know, you'd be staring down a, a worrying time. So I think he 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 wants to feel the love. I think he deserves to feel the love and certainly be paid for the the talented player that he is. I think was he um like fourth or fifth round, something like that. He was he was low down, fourth round, wasn't he? So, you know, he wasn't a high draft pick. He hadn't got a, a decent payday and then yeah, I think it, it probably feels a bit out of reach to tag him again for the the Dallas Cowboys. So he could look at the market and see what's out there and, you know, want to command a good fee. And certainly if I'm the Broncos or the Bears and even the Raiders, I think he makes my franchise a, a hell of a lot better. The Raiders are one that, you know, Gruden always feels like he wants a veteran talent, but he wants a top tier talent. And I think Dak Prescott ticks both of those boxes. I think he's you know, shown last season and the season before that he can put up big numbers. He's very solid, consistent. He's fairly efficient with the ball, but he's not afraid to make big splash plays and and put it all out there. And certainly I I think that's where Gruden potentially gets frustrated with Carr is that he's a little too safe and a little, you know, risk averse. But certainly if I'm, you know, if I'm any of those three teams, I'd be making a big push for, for Dak Prescott because they could be like other teams, they could be a quarterback away from being a top tier talent. I think you've, you made a lot of good points there. Um, And in the three teams that you were listing, um, I think I I agree with all of them, but the Raiders was the one that kind of drew my attention and got me going, Ooh, because yeah, all, all of a sudden I could just see Prescott with Gruden and just the Raiders lighting up the scoreboard. Um, But I think, the interesting thing for me is going back to what we talked about with um, the Steelers just now. The fact that um, 
you don't know when you're going to get a another quarterback. And the Cowboys didn't, as we said, uh, he's a fourth round pick. The Cowboys didn't draft Dak Prescott thinking he was going to be their next franchise quarterback. They were still going with Tony Romo. And it wasn't until Romo got injured in the preseason and Prescott stepped in and in his rookie year was like, oh, actually, hang on, this guy's really good. Maybe we should stick with him. But I think that's maybe part of the reason why they haven't been willing to give him that kind of long-term security that he wants because maybe for Jerry, that just wasn't what the plan was. And maybe he's kind of thinking, well, you know, you're lucky to be a cowboy. Um, But yeah, I think ultimately... Prescott, I would say, would improve almost any team that would pick him up, and I'd be excited to see him on the Raiders. I think he's the the premier free agent quarterback in this class. If the the Cowboys don't tag him, but if I'm being realistic, I I just I I can't see them letting him go, and I can't see him walking away from that situation. With I think his injury has come at the at the worst time for him, really, because. You know who's when the, when the cap is low like it is, who's going to want to chuck a load of money at a guy who really you know really badly hurt his ankle last season? And you don't know if he's going to be the same quarterback. You don't know if he's going to have the same mobility. You know, odds are it will heal well and he will. But there's always that risk, isn't it? And you know, is somebody going to chuck more money at him than the Cowboys will? So for me, I think I, I think if he gets to the open market and there's a team with money that wants a quarterback, he's the premier guy they're going to go after. But my gut is that he'll take a, a bridge deal with the Cowboys that will see him pay quite well for a couple of years. And then it gives him that opportunity for another, another big payday. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think a few little differences. I think firstly, you, you started to touch on what I think is the critical issue. We've got a guy coming off the back of a serious injury. I mean, I mean, there are injuries and there are injuries, right? And, and this guy was really badly injured. But actually, I think with the cap situation the way it is, if you want Dak Prescott, and there will be a queue, you know, like I say, this this is probably, you know, the most attractive quarterback free agent, as you said. I think the best way to afford Dak Prescott in the current market is to sign him up to a long-term deal and kick some of that money down the road. Now, the problem with that is who's going to pay him big money on a long-term deal when you've no idea how well he comes back? You know, there's that question mark. It's back to your earlier point, Phil. You know, there's no such thing as a sure thing at quarterback, is there? Um, I I think we're all agreed nobody will cap him. uh, uh, Nobody will tag him, sorry, with the cap situation the way it is at the best part of of $40 million. But, yeah, Dak, for me, um, it's interesting, actually, because as as much as I I love this whole idea around Dak, um, I think the three teams you've picked are, are really good examples, really spot on. I love that kind of Broncos um, and Raiders angle particularly. Um, but also just to, just kind of tying this back to Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, how lucky have the Cowboys been? Because, I mean, we've just talked about the fact they landed on Dak, having not really drafted him high enough to be considered, you know, a surefire starter in a career. But also Tony Romo was the same. You know, Romo came in having not been drafted all that highly and, and actually, you know, exceeded expectation remarkably. Um, the only pity is I, I don't think Benny Danucci necessarily suggested he was going to be the um, the hat trick in those wonderful um, roster moves, did he? So, yeah, I mean, I think if the Cowboys want to keep him, they've got to pay him because, you know, Dak Prescott and his advisors will know that if the Dallas Cowboys don't, there will be a few teams who are happy to.
So, Aldrin, that was it on all things Dak Prescott. Um, who fancies going next? So I'm feeling like throwing over to you, PB, to talk about the free agent you think could change a franchise's fortunes. Yeah, go for it. So for me, I'm looking at Alan Robinson. I mean, obviously, as a Buccaneers fan, I'm hoping we, we manage to keep Godwin. So Alan Robson, Robinson, I kind of see as the number one wide receiver target on the market. And by all accounts, the Bears haven't had contract talks with him since September. So it doesn't sound promising for him to stay there. And I can't see them tagging him. I think for him to stay there on the tag is 18 million. I just don't see it. But if you look at the teams that went far in the playoffs this year, I think it shows, you know, as you would expect, the benefit of having a strong receiving core and, and especially a star receiving core, you know, Green Bay, that was always a knock against them. You know, they got Devontae Adams, but not a, a whole lot after that. But if you look at the Bills, you know, they improved so much this year just by having Stefan Diggs there. You know, he made a real impact there for them. You've got the Chiefs with Hill, Kelsey, you know, Watkins, Hardman, all played well, a star receiving core. And then obviously you don't need me to talk about the Buccaneers, Evans, Godwin, Brown, Miller, etc. You know, talk hours on end about that. So if you look at teams who uh, either on the playoff bubble and having someone like Robinson would, would put them into the playoffs or even those teams who made the playoffs and actually having someone like a Robinson would take them further. You know, I, I've made a list and you've probably got the Washington football team, the Giants, the Eagles, so nearly the whole of the NFC East, I think could, could do with a star receiver. You've got the Dolphins who were there or thereabouts on the bubble. And one of the knocks, you know, is that two has not played very well, but two doesn't have a great receiving core to throw to. So Robinson would make a real difference, I think, to, to someone like the Dolphins. The Packers, as I've already mentioned, you know, all right, they've got Devontae Adams, but not, you know, even Robinson coming in as a 1A and a 1B would, would, you know, really make them scary, I think, to go up against. And then you've also got, I mean, I noted down the Lions, they're obviously nowhere near a playoff spot, but I think Robinson would improve them. And then you've got the Ravens and the Colts, who both made the playoffs, but I don't think, you know, really have a great receiving lineup. But the Colts maybe with T.Y. Hilton, but outside of that, I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, if you'd really call any of their other receivers, particularly, you know, upper level in the league. And the Ravens, that was a knock against them. You know, they, they even brought back Des Bryant. So I think there are a lot of teams out there with a need for a, for a star receiver. And I think he fits the bill and would push a few teams over the mark there. So, you know, and, and if you look at Alan Robinson with the teams he's played for, with the Jags and, and the Bears, I would argue that he's never had a top level NFL quarterback thrown to him. And he's still... You know, you could argue he's still a top 10 receiver in the league. So I think that yeah. shows you his ability level. 100% agree. I think Robinson is, if anything, probably underrated. And I think the other point you make that's really interesting, you just made a point about Stefan Diggs, right? And Diggs to the Bills, absolutely the kind of kind of model I think you'd follow. But even Diggs, so often when you've got a free agency wide receiver out there and available... It's a number two guy that feels like he should be a number one guy. You know, Diggs against Phelan in, in Minnesota, I think, is a great example, even though Diggs is maybe 1A, 1B with Phelan then. But Robinson is a proper WR1. This guy is a proper top-tier talent. And the fact that the Bears are not looking to sign that guy up long-term is madness to me. Uh, I think he improves pretty much any team in the NFL because I'm with you. I think he's probably top five in my mind for the position. I think that that digs reference is exactly what I was thinking when I was thinking of, you know, free agents that could turn the tide. And I was thinking, well, Alan Robinson is that guy because you think how close the bills were 
the previous season you know i i know we talk about the the kind of transcendent season that Allen had at quarterback but he only had that season because he had an incredible receiver catching the ball and making contested catches and driving them down the field with him and i think that is exactly the level of talent that Allen uh, Robinson brings to any franchise like you said you could throw a dart at the map and he'd land on any team and I think you can have good receivers like you say come to free agency and and like Rob touched on it's often wide receiver twos that want to get paid wide receiver one money or feel like they should come out of the shadow of a top tier receiver that they're playing on the same team with but I think Robinson is exactly that. He's a wide receiver one. You look at his numbers and they're phenomenal every year. And then you consider who he's catching the balls from. And it's, you know, jobbers from the Jacksonville Jaguars in their down years. Blake Bortles, obviously, the the big playoff champ that Phil will lord. But, you know, he's he's not been catching passes from top tier talent. And he is that elite level. And I think that, the Bears did really well to pick him up. He came off an injury, if I remember rightly, and they signed him to that three-year deal. And it was, it was kind of a we think we've got a player, but we, you know, there's there's an out for us. But to to get to this point where they've not signed him up to a long-term deal, when to be blunt, he looks like the only playmaker in that team. And you know, if I, I talked about Dak Prescott being you know, a quarterback that you'd want to take to the Bears. Well, surely if you're if you're gonna if you're a free agent quarterback or you're a a, a quarterback that could get traded or you know you might end up at the Bears, surely you're thinking, well, damn, Alan Robinson's one of those players that I want to be in that building so that I know I've got an elite player to to build around with. You know, you don't want to be just you know dumped in the team and be the only playmaker there. So the fact that they've you know, they're going into this season really with a big question mark at quarterback. And I can't believe that Nick Foles is the answer, let's be honest. And now they're going to have no wide receiver one. Where does the, you know, where does that playmate come from? So I think Alan Robinson, for me, arguably is the the free agent of the class almost. I, I know I talked about Dak Prescott, but he, Robinson feels like the the money guy that really takes a team to another level. Just on the quarterback note, you, you're right at the Jags. I think he came in and his first pass was from Chad Henney and then it was Blake Bortles all the way through until he got to the Bears and, and it's been Trubisky and Foles. But even if you go back to his college days, he's never he's never really had a quarterback. I think his quarterbacks in college were Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberg. So it's not like he had an elite, you know, if, if you look at, is it Devonta Smith in the draft this year who had two are throwing at him and, and, you know, the guys at Clemson that have got Lawrence, it's not like he's ever had an, an elite quarterback thrown to him. I, f- I find myself again coming in fourth here and I can't really bring anything new to the conversation because I agree with everything that you guys have said. The examples are there. Um, I like that we are talking about Alan Robinson um, because I, I agree with Rob. I think he's underrated. I think he, he probably fits one of those players that you would term as a, a team's best kept secret. And in part, I think that's because he doesn't get the credit for what he does because unnecessarily he gets tarred with the brush of the teams that he's on the the jags the bears haven't been particularly good teams or they haven't been particularly explosive teams so because of that you can't pin particular things to it um i also like it because 
unlike the vast majority of players that we can have and will talk about, we can actually talk about a player that we've seen perform live. We've been at Wembley, Tottenham, we've been to Twickenham too, and we've seen the Jags play games. And I remember us leaving Jags games when they've lost and still being able to point to, ah, but Robinson, these, you know, there was the catch he made, there was this that he did. Um, And when you are on a team that is with, respect and apologies to our Jacksonville Jaguar fan listeners, a team that is historically terrible, it's important to look at that and kind of think, well, what's what's going on? Why aren't the league going for him? And he's, uh, to, to kind of go behind their curtain a little bit, it can't be because of some controversies in his opinions or what he does because he's never in trouble. As far as, as far as we know, he's never done anything like that. So it's not like they're wary about giving him money because he's going to go and do something stupid. Seems like an, a perfectly stand-up guy on the field and off. So the fact that he doesn't get that contract is baffling. I, I think you're right. I think Aldrin said, you know, first time round when he was looking to move Jags to Bears, it was the injury that probably gave people, you know, cause to, to just pause and think about how much they'd want to pay him. This time round, I think the Bears will be the anomaly. Uh, I think there will be a queue around the block. Um, why on earth Chicago aren't paying the guy makes no sense to me at all. Um, I, I know their cap isn't that favourable, but they are so light on talent. I mean, particularly on offence. I mean, that that is just a horror show. And, and a general manager who's done a, an amazing job at just keeping himself employed, frankly, after after the mess that he's got himself in with all the money being paid to, to Foles. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'm with you. And and if that rounds out our second um, free agency superstar, JB, you said you keep coming in fourth. So how about you lead us off with this one? Um, who have you got as the superstar that could make the difference? Well, unlike uh, the three of you, and spoiler alert for what Rob's going to talk about, I am talking about a player on the defensive side of the ball. And strap in, kids, it's going to be another history lesson. Um, the... Green Bay Packers, when they won the Super Bowl in the 90s, um, it was in part because of Brett Favre learning to have that gunslinger mentality without constantly shooting himself in the foot. But the biggest other contribution came from them securing Reggie White on defense, the, the Minister of Defense. And that was in the early days of the very first free agency. And I think it solidified that saying that you know offense wins games but defense wins championships um so obviously i'm going to talk about jj watt because a a a generational player being available and not this isn't a trade situation this is a he could sign with someone tomorrow that kind of person being available is is unbelievable and i know sort of aldrin's listed a couple of teams for dak prescott um phil's listed a a couple of teams for alan robertson legitimately i could list the entire league and give you a reason why them signing jj what makes sense yes i know there's a lot of discussion of oh you know he's getting on he's getting on but he's 31 it's not like we're talking about a a 35 year old like a a robert mathis at the end of his time in indianapolis or jared allen or something like that we're talking about a guy who's still got good years in him and 
we're talking about a player that should have, in addition to all of his stats, an, a league MVP. With respect to Aaron Rodgers, the 2004 season belonged to J.J. Watt. He contributed on, on defence spectacularly. He contributed on offence as well. And that player is still there. And you're not just bringing him in as a player, though. You're bringing him in as a leader, not just in your team, but in your city. You know, uh, he's the man of the year for a reason. The, the amount of money that he raised to rebuild Houston was, was incredible the amount he does in the community, the, the things he does off the field with the team to, to build them up and bring them up. If you want a figurehead, if you are looking for somebody to be like, again, like we talked about, the, the Bucks did with, with Tom Brady. They bought Tom Brady and said, right, this is the guy now, follow him and look where they followed him to. If you want someone to come in and be like, right, follow this guy, he knows what he's talking about. JJ Watt's there. I will stick to what we've agreed, and I will list a couple of teams that I think he'd be good for. Um, obviously, well, I think the major one everybody's talking about is the Green Bay Packers. Again, the Wisconsin connection is there. I think if you asked JJ Watt, do you want to go and play with Aaron Rodgers and potentially win a Super Bowl, you wouldn't get an answer from him because it would be one of those Looney Tunes situation where there's just a JJ Watts shaped cloud of dust because he sped off to go and sign the contract. Um, obviously I'm going to put the Pittsburgh Steelers in there because I like the idea of the, the finisher completer in me having all three Watt brothers playing for the Steelers. That's just nice. Plus having JJ Watt on defense, that's not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> and then the other one that I'm going to give is a completely out there one, but I think it was this week. JJ Watt put a video on social media celebrating his anniversary with his wife. And the video he shared was of his wife in her wedding dress eating chicken wings. And of course, social media immediately jumped on that as a sign that he was going to go to the Buffalo Bills, which again, that would make complete sense to me because that defense is very good. But again, it just needs that little bit. They solved it on offense this year with like we talked about before with Stefan Diggs being there for Josh Allen. Now at JJ Watt into that Buffalo Bills defense, I would not want to play them and I would not want to, I don't think any team would. My only point really on yours is I'm not sure I quite have the same confidence. He's got a few good years left in him. Uh, I feel like part of him maneuvering for a trade is, is he feels, you know, an awful lot closer to the end of the career than the start. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, I was looking um, today and just reading through news, and there's a bit of talk you might end up a Cleveland Brown as well, which seemed an odd one for me because, you know, if, if you're going to go somewhere at the point in the career that J.J. Watt is, you feel like it's a contender that you want to be landing with. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers, up until the news we've just talked about with Big Ben made sense, you know, now they may be feeling more flux than I, I thought they might be. Um, oddly, and I mean, I, I hate to say this because Phil doesn't need any encouragement, but in a world where Tampa Bay maybe lose Barrett or, or maybe lose a couple of pieces, he, he could be a pretty affordable bridge player in, in what's already a pretty well-established defence. So certainly I think there'll be contenders out there for him. Uh, I just hope that, you know, he can steer clear of injuries for a year or two. They've, they've been so damaging for him the last couple of years. And, and let's hope that there is one final hurrah for the guy. 
it's not a hard sell, is it, to come to Tampa when they're talking, you know, about trying to keep the, the guys together as much as possible. They're the, the current Super Bowl champs. I think another one in the mix is Chicago. Isn't that where his um, his wife, uh, she's a soccer player, right? And I think that's where she plays. So, um, and I think that's why there's also the Green Bay talk because it's not a million miles away, is it? So it'll be interesting. I think he's, he, he kind of is going to set the tone. You know, if he goes before the free agent, before free agency opens because he's free to sign now it's going to set the tone for, for the other guys you know you look at sack barrett for example von miller as well is another name and, and who knows what's going to go on with him um you know i think where jj watt goes is going to kind of lay the foundations for those pieces to start to, to come together as well so he, he's an interesting one i think he's still an impact player as well i think his you know you talk about his play dropping off and stuff like that and i think he's a, a former defensive player of the year at least one year um three years that's what I thought three years in a row wasn't he he was phenomenal so you know a drop off from a three year in a row defensive player of the year is still going to be an upper level player in the league and I think the stats from the last couple of years show that so but even outside of that the leadership that he'll bring you know we spoke about Stefan Diggs earlier and and they talk about the improvements he's made in the room for Buffalo you look at Tom Brady and the mentality that he's changed at the Buccaneers so even bringing JJ Watt into a team you know just to change to change the whole kind of dynamic of, of the team will, will make sense for a, a team that's kind of on, on the bubble or a contender. I think oh, the only thing I wanted to touch on, because they're all bang on points, but just looking at his stats from the last season. So the past season for the Texans, he had 52 tackles, five sacks, 14 tackles for loss, 17 quarterback hits, two forced fumbles and seven pass deflections. Now, if we're calling that a down year, then I think there'll be a lot of teams that would be really excited to bring JJ Watt into the fold because if that is a if that's a bad year for a 31 year old injury plagued player, then I think there's it, it, he's got a feel of one of those players that gets one last big contract and somebody overpays him. Um, or I do think there's the flip side of him going to a contender and wanting to win and taking a lower a lower figure like the the Steelers and obviously I think that kind of felt more natural before all of this news about Ben and and what have you but yeah you know somebody like Tampa or any of those teams feels like a nice fit for him to take a lower number and just go for a ring because if there's one player that you feel kind of deserves it after the well what is a lock first ballot hall of famer when it comes time, I think he deserves a ring. And like you said, that leadership and the off field stuff is just, you know, he's a, he's a great person. And I think he could come into a team maybe with, you know, younger pieces, you know, even somebody like the Jacksonville Jaguars, I could see benefiting massively from him, you know, kind of in rebuild mode, they're going to bring in lots of young players from the draft, you know, don't tell me urban Meyer doesn't want a player of JJ Watts caliber and, you know, just pass rushing ability, even that kind of takes that sort of team to another level. So I, I still think he's got, I think, I still think he's got miles in the tank. And I think, you know, one or two years, he feels like he either gets overpaid or he goes for a ring and, and takes a lower deal. I, I think you're right. I, I think it's probably got more the feel of he'll take lower money to be on the right team. Kind of would be what I'd lean towards. And just to clarify my point, I'm with you. I, I don't think the impact playmaking ability is gone. I think he just needs a couple of years without these niggling injuries. Um, but yeah, J- JB, over to you. So I had also looked at the stats, 
but I wasn't going to bring the stats up because the stats took me down a path that I felt would upset a member of our podcast. And I'm very sorry, Rob, but I'm about to do it. So, yeah, you look at JJ Watt's stats this year and you think, okay, for a down year, that's still pretty impressive regardless of whoever you are. And then you start going into, okay, well, how many times was he held? You know, probably quite a lot. How many times was he double teamed? How many times did they, did the opposing team specifically put um, a extra protection in to keep JJ Watt out? Because again, from that Texans team, you know where the problems are coming and the problems are coming from 99. And that then led me on to, well, we talked about that. They talk about Aaron Donald with regard to his defensive player of the year versus TJ Watt. And obviously a lot of things was, yeah, TJ Watt did great things, single covered more often than double covered. Aaron Donald is double covered all the time. And then that then led me down the point of, oh my God, can you imagine the Los Angeles Rams with Aaron Donald and JJ Watt? And then I got very scared for everyone else in the league because if they find a way to make that happen, oh, it would be absolute carnage. You kind of think the Rams are the kind of team that even if you look at their cap situation and think the money's not there, Les Snead does incredibly creative things, doesn't he? I mean, that that has the feel and the uh, the smell of something that could happen. And also, you know, it's not a bad place to go and live and earn a living, is it? We were talking about geography and, you know, connections to college and, you know, where his, his wife plays soccer. But ultimately, to wake up with LA sunshine every morning is, um, is yeah, not a bad way to end a career. Don't forget, though, with the Rams, they'll be on their third defensive coordinator in three years. So there's no, like, you know, they've got some great players on D, but there's no guarantee that the new guy's going to come in and mesh and, and play well. Now, I know we're going on to Rob next. So presumably we've rounded this off. And Rob, I know you normally like to do the little roundup bits. I would just like to end, because this is going to segue straight into your the guy you're talking about. If you are Deshaun Watson and you get the message, you're already unhappy, you already want to leave, and you get the message to say that they've released JJ Watt, what are you thinking? Well, I think in part, um, you saw on Twitter, you know, with, with Deshaun Watson's kind of tweet to say, you know, that, that he absolutely sees JJ Watt as a, as a warrior, you know, and, and wishes him all the best and, and all of those great kind of sentiments that he expressed. But um, you are right. I, th- I think they are both leaving what they think is a sinking ship, aren't they? I mean, that is that is an organisation that that has real problems, real problems from from top to bottom. And um, you know, it, it, we've seen in the last couple of years a number of organisations turn themselves round. I think in previous podcasts we we touched on people like the Titans and the Bills who've managed to do that. But there are franchises that don't, and they stay in that basement for an awfully long time based on the kind of mismanagement that we're currently seeing in in Houston. I mean, the the Jets are probably one example. The Browns up until very recently would have been another. But yeah, I think JJ Watt going is, um, you know, a really strong message. I think the fact JJ Watt wants to go is is actually a really strong message when you talk about his ties to Houston. So um, yeah, it does make for... um, well, for unhappy reading, if you're a Texans fan, I think is is probably the long and the short of it. 
Um, but thank you for segueing to me, Phil. This is a, a whole new experience because you are absolutely right. I'm going to round out by talking about Deshaun Watson. And I was kind of thinking about how I approach this. And I think it's maybe a little bit different to some of the conversations we've just had about the previous three players. Because I actually think Deshaun Watson's resume speaks for itself. I don't think I necessarily need to talk about what Deshaun Watson brings to a team. I think that's absolutely in evidence. I think, although we're not talking about a free agent, we're talking about a player who who is likely to be traded in in this um, context. We are talking about a top five NFL quarterback being available for trade, which in my long what 30 plus years of following the NFL I have never known happen you know like I say there's normally a question mark there's normally a reason um Deshaun Watson is is an absolute anomaly so instead I want to focus on the teams that I honestly believe he would immediately turn into Super Bowl contenders you know I, I really do think a bit like we were talking about with the Colts needing a quarterback as that missing piece I think Deshaun Watson is the difference and I'm going to follow you Aldrin with what I thought was a cracking point. I want to talk about the Denver Broncos, right? Because nobody's really talking about the Broncos, particularly because you've got the Chiefs, obviously, that have steamrolled that division. You've got the Chargers that feel like they're having a, a real renaissance and, and have a great future ahead with, with you know, uh, a new freshness and a, a bit of zing at quarterback. But the Denver Broncos, right, last season on offense were an absolute horror show, right? So a, 308 first downs the whole season only 94 of those first downs coming from the run. Now, on the one hand, you could go, well, hold on, this is a team that only scored 21 points, or actually slightly less, averaged 20.2 points per game last year. But even with this stellar defense and this supposedly defensive mastermind at head coach in Fangio, managed to concede an average of 27. Now, we could speak ill of that defense and say, well, you know, they didn't perform, or maybe it was the impact of not having Von Miller all year. I actually think the defensive problems stem from the offense as well. This is a team that had a minus 16 turnover differential. Drew Locke, who only played in two-thirds of the team's games last season, somehow still managed to throw 15 interceptions. This is a defense that always seemed to have their backs to the wall. And let's have a look at what you change in Denver with Deshaun Watson. So, again, when you look at Denver and offensive stats, they're pretty much at the bottom when it comes to absolutely everything. But notably, you've got things like yards per attempt. Um, for passing attempts, they average between five and six yards per attempt. Deshaun Watson in a Houston team that was absolutely falling apart around him was 8.9 yards per passing attempt. And that's before you look at the damage he can also do with his legs. You start to look at that and you think, well, hold on. Even if he can take the team from, you know, the 20 or so points they score again to maybe 24 or 25, I expect a more reliable offense to improve those defensive numbers. And I genuinely think Deshaun Watson is the missing piece. And I know there's a lot of question marks about Von Miller. I think if Von Miller goes, I still think Deshaun Watson could be enough of a difference maker to absolutely give them playoff football and a competitive edge next year. Um, and that of, of the two teams I really want to talk about is probably the more unlikely. The terrifying thing for me when I started looking at stats is the other really good fit is the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you know, they were Super Bowl 
um, and what they had a double digit lead in the Super Bowl, didn't they? You know, only only a couple of seasons ago, and then this year they've ended up finishing bottom of that division. But again, you look at their stats. I mean, the 49ers averaged 23 points a game. The opponents averaged 24. Now, I know they lose Salah and, you know, that there might be the need for a, a little bit of time for any defensive scheme to gel. But, I mean, we're talking about a team that performed really, really well whenever they could keep Jimmy G on the field and healthy. I mean, Jimmy G as a starter has a more than 70% win percentage as a San Francisco 49er. I think even if we imagine that what's available to the 49ers next year is a healthy Jimmy G, and I'm a fan of him, I think he does some really good things, I think he throws the ball, his mechanics I think are really, really good, I still think Deshaun Watson is an upgrade on a Jimmy G, I think he's an upgrade on pretty much everybody, and just like I spoke about with the Denver Broncos, my final point on the 49ers is they have fumbled they have had the ball intercepted nearly as much as Denver. I mean, Mullins was an absolute disaster for them when it comes to ball security. And I think the 49ers probably jump into a bracket of four or five teams who could consider themselves Super Bowl favourites if they add Deshaun Watson to that roster. Uh, Deshaun Watson was kind of the player that I think I would have liked to have gone for if you hadn't have nabbed him first. And just doing a little bit of research this morning, Pro Football Focus has Dak Prescott as their number one free agent. And the only reason it's not obviously Deshaun Watson is he's under contract. I think we, you know, we've talked about great players. Robinson's great. Watt is great. Prescott is great. But if Watson was a free agent, if Watson was available now, I think all four of us would be fighting each other to be the first person to talk about it in the same way that teams would be fighting over him. I think there is a lot of parallel, to, at least to me, in the Texans and Deshaun Watson like there was with the Colts and Andrew Luck. I remember come, starting, to watch the, starting to watch this fantastic sport. Rob and Aldrin, you guys kind of educated me on these are the players that you want to watch, and Andrew Luck was one of them. And what I watched for my first two seasons was a guy who was basically just doing it all himself. One guy dragging the entire team along with him. No disrespect meant to like T.Y. Hilton or Reggie Wayne or anything like that but Andrew Luck did not have the players around him on offense or defense they needed he did not have the line he did not have the coach and he did not have the GM and unfortunately for the Col uh, for the Colts they've solved all of those problems now but they drove Andrew Luck out of the league so they don't have him but we're not talking about that we're talking about the Texans we're talking about Deshaun Watson who doesn't really have the line in front of him, doesn't really have the players on offense or defense that he needs anymore. No offense to JJ Watt or uh, Deshaun, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, that's what I'm thinking of, who's obviously the Texans traded to the Cardinals. Don't really have the coach, don't really have the GM, and it's the same situation now. So if I'm Watson, I'm not wanting to go to the Broncos. I, I agree with Rob. I think Watson makes the Broncos infinitely better but I think a lot of quarterbacks would make the Broncos infinitely better because the Broncos are a bit of a terrible team. Two, two quick points. One, I mean, remember this guy's going to be traded. So yeah. it's not Deshaun Watson who necessarily has the choice. I mean, he could, you know, threaten holding out and so on and so <laughs> forth. You know, things are available to him. But also the other thing for me, that the reason that the Broncos really stood out is the Broncos really need to upgrade just to stand still. I mean... The Broncos, before Fangio, had never had a head coach that had consecutive losing seasons. You know, this is a, a franchise that's had an incredibly storied history, massive success, particularly in the 90s under Shanahan. 
But I mean, you could be looking at the Kansas City Chiefs and the Chargers dominating that division for the next 10 or 15 years based on the talent they found under center. I think the Denver Broncos need to go out and make a splash. The 49ers worries me because, because the 49ers for me are, you know, uh, a Super Bowl team. You know, if they'd have avoided injuries this season, they wouldn't have been finishing fourth in that division. And if you if you're saying to me people can get excited about Sean McVay having Matt Stafford as his quarterback, are you telling me Shanahan with Deshaun Watson couldn't be more, you know, expansive and and do more in that situation? I just think those two. Although I will say the Raiders never crossed my mind really for Watson until you mentioned them earlier, James, in relation to um, Dak Prescott. So maybe you could even add the Raiders in, much like you did. But yeah, I think the 49ers or Broncos, just go and get him. You know, just go and mortgage whatever you need, draft capital, whatever it is. Just go and get this guy because he is an absolute superstar. Yeah, the 49ers is the one for me that stands out as such a good fit. I think Shanahan probably exploits all of his talent and gets the absolute most out of him. I do feel I'm bang on with you. The 49ers are a Super Bowl team in waiting again. You know, this year was an anomaly, but the previous season showed what they're capable of. And if anything, they feel like they've got more pieces now than they had. You know, they've got Debo Samuel somewhat fit. I mean, that's that's the challenge. But Brandon Ayuk looked sensational. They've got a, a real good raft of top-tier running backs. And obviously, when George Kittle's fit, he is elite. So I do feel like they're a quarterback away. You know, I, I agree with you on Jimmy G to a certain extent. I think, you know, he's got great mechanics. But I just, for me, Jimmy G just never seems to have that X factor, that that bit that takes them a little bit further than before. And that's kind of where Jimmy G let them down in that Super Bowl. I think he was a bit too reserved, uh, a bit safe and that led the Chiefs back into it. I don't feel like Deshaun Watson's that kind of guy. I think we saw enough this season from the Texans, like you said, James, basically dragging that team along and literally dragging that team along in certain cases where he had that incredible rushing touchdown where he almost bulldozed defenders out of the way. And yeah, I think Deshaun Watson, like you said, Rob, he's that sort of talent that seems to be available that has never been available, you know, even when Manning question marks about his health, big question marks, whereas Deshaun Watson, you're getting a player at the peak of his power on a fairly favourable contract. You know, whoever he goes to, he's not breaking the bank in terms of insane money. And it gives him it gives him a good negotiating point in three or four years time. But, yeah, the 49ers, I think, would be exciting. And yeah, to my point on the, the Dak Prescott thing, I do think the Raiders feel like another team that, if they add a top-tier quarterback, they're suddenly a, a Super Bowl team. You know, they looked really, really good this year. I mean, they beat the Chiefs. So, you know, they've got to be a good team to be able to do that. But with a top-tier quarterback in Deshaun Watson, I just feel like, yeah, he is – I know we talked about the free agents, but he is the the available player that literally every team could go after and – make infinitely better but yeah i think 49ers you're bang on that's such a, a an exciting prospect i think the 49ers struggled with injuries this year didn't they that's why um you know they had so much fuss you got kittle out um who 
you know, was a big part of their offense the year before, set records in terms of receiving yards and stuff like that. So I, I think you're absolutely right to, to take out Garoppolo, who I think is a, he's a serviceable quarterback, but he's not top 10, and put in Watson, who I consider one of the, the best quarterbacks in the league, I'd say top three easily. Um, you know, it, it makes them a scary prospect. And then the two teams where he's most he's been most linked with, we've not even talked about, you know, the Jets. Um, and the Jets don't have a lot of other pieces, so whether he'd really want to go there or not, um, who knows. But the, the Miami Dolphins is an intriguing one. You know, if they decide that two is not the guy and they want to move away and get Watson, you know, my, Miami are there or thereabouts. They've got one of the best coaches in the league, I would argue. You know, I think Flores is a really good coach. Um, so to put Watson in that situation would be, you know, it'd be quite interesting to see, wouldn't it? It'd really make them an exciting team, and I think they would be up there. Um, in terms of you know going to conference championship, if not the Super Bowl, so especially if you add some of those other parts around him, you know we said that, that the Tua didn't really, hasn't really got a receiving cast to throw to. You know if they had a receiver and they had the Sean Watson as well, that could be a really interesting uh, interesting move. The Dolphins are a really good shout actually. I hadn't really considered them, but they feel like the sort of team that could be in for a trade because they've got that young prospect of Tua who. I wasn't massively impressed by last season, but feels like the sort of player that could go on a breakout in the right team and with the right players around him. So that kind of capital could be enticing for the Texans just because, you know, you can, you can immediately replace your quarterback with a a young up and coming prospect who, if he's traded, is really going to want to go and show what he's capable of and, you know, take, he's got the, the potential to make that his team so yeah that's a good shout they've got the draft capital as well don't they it's almost like draft day all over again with kevin costner of the texans shouting down the phone at the dolphins that he wants all his picks back you know if the texans could get back potentially Tua, and then their their original first round pick and some of the other picks they gave up then you know that's that's probably as good a haul as they'll get you know for a guy that wants out of town I think the the other interesting thing, and I mean we're in danger of of this post- podcast lasting, you know, long into the night. But to round up this point, what's becoming more and more apparent as we speak to me is that Watson could be that domino piece that starts an awful lot of things tumbling. You know, if he goes to the Dolphins, I still think Tua starts somewhere else week one. If he goes to the Jets, I could see Sam Darnold starting for somebody else week one. I could see Garoppolo starting for somebody else week one. Drew Locke is maybe the one that maybe takes a little bit more imagination and possibly some good luck, you know, a fair wind behind him. But again, Carr at the Raiders, you know, you would say that is a guy who, you know, is is not, you know, a below average starter in the NFL. I'm, I'm with you, Aldrin, maybe a little risk averse along with Garoppolo. But I think it's, again, one of those cases where if Watson moves, he might start a bit of a chain reaction and um, it could make for, well, an off-season, the likes of which we have never seen. Um, but you know what, gents? I think those are the kind of points that any general manager in the NFL should be listening to. Um, I think you know we have been able to simplify what is probably the world's most complex game in the best part of an hour plus of conversation. Um, and you know what? Now that kind of base level of the salary cap for next year has been announced, maybe we will be returning to record next week's podcast with a flurry of news um, and of action coming in. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I still believe it. And I know we said the Super Bowl, you know, we had high hopes for, but there's something about this off season, whether it's COVID, whether it's the cap, whether it's the certain situation within football teams, 
We are talking about teams who are potentially a quarterback away from being Super Bowl contenders. And in an hour and a half, we haven't mentioned the New England Patriots. You know, I mean, I think there is so much to go on in this offseason. Um, I genuinely can't wait. But I think unless anyone has any other pressing matters, we're uh, probably about to call it a day and say to our growing, bulging listenership, thank you ever so much for joining us again. We'll be back on Spotify or whichever platform you go to listen to your podcast in seven days' time with some more of the same. But thank you, gentlemen, and I'll catch up with you all next week. See you all soon. Bye. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. The game is over. The game is over. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another action-packed show. Phil's not going to jump in there, then, is he? Okay. He's busy playing his Xbox. He's playing his Xbox. Xbox. Lovely. Start again if you want to. Start again. Feel free. Start again. (laughs)